to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about self-limiting beliefs. Um, both as tennis coaches and sports psychology coaches, it's very common to see uh, athletes who, for a number of different reasons that we'll get into during this episode, um, they hold themselves back. Um, and we'll get into why that might happen and some examples of how, the, how this manifests. Um, but I think a good place to start this conversation is regarding mindset, um, particularly having a fixed mindset or having a growth mindset. Um, whether we see ourselves in a sort of a static way and that this is who we are in terms of our current level, we're having the ability to improve at a number of different areas as it relates to tennis, maybe that this could be certainly um, things related to our game in terms of the technical side, the strategic side, as well as the mental side. Um, and I think we'll dive into a number of examples here. Um, but Brian, uh, you you actually were the one that um, suggested this topic originally. Um, where where do you start to um, think about this topic and how you see it um, with players that you work with? I think fixed mindset is a good place to start. Josh, and, and as you said, sometimes we get in our own way with respect to um, limiting ourselves. And sometimes it can be also the environment we're in. Um, you know, maybe other people are, are maybe pushing their views on us as to what they think we can do um, or we can't do, right? Um, and usually I start the conversation with um, a discussion because I think it also goes to the language that we use. And one of the biggest language issues that we, that we see, it's maybe not exactly related to fixed mindset, but is the word can't. Now, everybody's familiar with uh, the Henry Ford quote of, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And I think we use this word a lot in tennis and it could be used like, well, I can't beat that person or I can't hit uh, a kick serve you know, it could be related to something like that, right? And so when we have that sentence, um, automatically that becomes more or less our, our truth. And we may not push beyond that boundary. So if I say I can't hit a kick serve, what does that lead to? It generally leads to not even going to try anymore. Pretty much decided I can't hit it and, uh, and I'm done with that. Um, and so a lot of it is talking to players about how this word works, um, what it is doing in our minds, and then bringing a little bit more of reality. Like, why, why do you think you can't do it? Um, all right, you're missing a few. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't do it ever. Yes, maybe you can't do it right now, um, but perhaps we could rephrase that, right? I can't hit a kick serve yet. Right, use the power of yet. By, by adding that to the end of the sentence, now we're giving some hope. Hey, I'm working on it. I know that this is something that I can achieve in the future. It's not a fixed thing. Right? I can surpass my level. Um, and I understand that making mistakes along the way, that's actually reality. That's how we learn. And I think very often... It's mistakes and losses that can lead to the word the, to the use of the word can't with respect to winning, with respect to mistakes or learning. And it's a pretty easy, I think, fix, but I think you have to remind people often 
because you'll hear them continue to use the word that they they can't do something. Um, but I, I'd be curious to hear your your uh, thoughts on the word "can't," Josh, and you know what you've encountered with with players. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen it as it relates to um, certain strokes, right? So whether it's like I can't hit my backhand, I can't hit you know a certain type of serve, um, or I can't beat a certain type of player. I think that's a big one that um, I've certainly seen a lot. I mean, whether it's in players that I've coached, whether it's in um, you know in, in tournaments. I mean, you 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 see these self-limiting beliefs um, come about through, you know, maybe a player loses to a certain type of player over and over again, whether that's, um, you know, very consistent player that they might decide to call a pusher, um, whether that's, you know, somebody with a big serve or someone who comes to net. Um, So it could be a certain type of player as well that, that, um, that holds them back and they have a feeling just because they haven't been winning recently, right? They haven't been beating this player recently, or they haven't been, you know, able to produce that stroke at the level that they want to recently, that they never will. Um, Ignoring the fact that growth is always possible. And also, I would say, not thinking about the fact of how far they've come. I think oftentimes it can be helpful, you know, whether it's six months or a year, but being able to look backwards and think about the progress that has been made, I think that can often make it easier to, to understand that, you know, wh- where you are isn't fixed, that it's not like you can never um, beat this type of player, never, you know, bring your serve, you know, increase the consistency or increase the spin on your serve, um, that you're not fixed and that you're, you know, I, I, I like that you brought up the word can't, because I think that, you know, what, when, when that is believed, when it's believed that somebody can't do something, then it's almost a cop out before you even start. It's that that gives you an excuse to lose. It gives you an excuse maybe to play poorly, and you you have that that excuse ready that you have it built in that you know regardless of what happens out there. And we all know that tennis is can be very random. Anything can happen on any given day. But when you've already built that up, you it, it's as if you've prepared what you're going to say after the fact already before the match has even started. So I, I, I like that. And I think, you know, talking to players about that word in particular is a, is a great strategy. And I think maybe we start to use that word, at least in the examples we're bringing up, because we're over-identifying with mistakes, thinking that it means we're bad uh, or losses, that we're not a good player. And, you know, if we start to look at solutions, yes, the power of yet is one. But um, we've mentioned a few times in this podcast about looking at your tennis, say, as a project, as a life project. So it's not, you know, just because you can't hit a kick serve or you can't beat that person or you're struggling against a particular style doesn't mean you're a terrible player. Um, it just means you need to work on this aspect of the tennis project. And if we, if we can look at that more with a, a learner's mindset, right, as you noted, Josh, the growth mindset, so for those, maybe we should define that a little bit, right? <laughs> Fixed mindset being more that believing certain abilities are fixed at a certain level for all of us. So, you know, that could be intelligence, speed, strength. And there's this notion that whatever you have is what you what you have and you'll never surpass that. And then the, the growth mindset is more about that you can increase your levels in certain things. Um, obviously, Teaching height, it's hard. Uh, but, you know, can you be smarter? Can you learn to get faster? 
Uh, yeah, you can do all of these things. It's a matter of putting time and energy and the belief that you can grow that. I do think in working with athletes and even just being somewhat self-aware myself that we're not necessarily 100% in the growth mindset camp and 100% in the fixed mindset. You know, I notice even sometimes that I'll have some fixed mindset thoughts that, you know, come about and I realize, you know, I'm able to turn it around because I, I understand what's happening. But I think we all have to be more aware of that. We that we might be saying something that's that isn't true. That yeah, I can actually improve at at this particular thing. And so I think it's important for players to examine their thoughts. And you know, am I expressing maybe an opinion that? is really more fixed mindset when I could be thinking more as a learner and looking to grow this. Um, you, know, you made a, a good point, Josh, about how maybe what's happening a little bit is we see ourselves at a certain level and we're not really able to expand our view to what the next level looks like. And, and then the work that goes into going from, you know, let's just say level one to level two. And, um, and we're just so kind of fixated on where we are now and maybe we're not happy with where we are now and I can't get there. Um, maybe we just need to break that journey down a little bit, you know, and I think that's where working with someone like you or me can be helpful in creating that, that vision of what you want to get out of tennis and, and understanding, okay, what, what, what's our vision for the next three or four months and, Here's what to expect. There's going to be mistakes, right? It can help them get through some of that can't stuff, get through that that fixed mindset piece. And once a player has done that one time, you know, gone through say a 90 or 120 day development plan and 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 gotten to uh, and seen improvement, then they tend to buy into it more. I think you start to see uh, some of this fixed mindset uh, drop off. In terms of how they're talking, because now you've you've actually helped them grow their game in a more deliberate way, um, and with understanding the reality of uh, there are mistakes, there are losses, there are difficult styles to play, uh, but we can get through that if we look at it in a, a more project oriented way. It's something we want to study and and uh, and simply have a, a better plan for. Yeah, I, I think having a development plan and having a clear vision for what that next step looks like um, and, and being really specific about it. Maybe that yeah. um, means, you know, increasing your serve percentage by a certain amount. Maybe that means making certain tactical changes. It could certainly mean, you know, making, um, you know, devoting more time to the mental aspects of the game. Um, but I think having that clear plan and maybe setting, you know, setting some some concrete goals or process goals um, for yourself can go a long way for um, understanding that, you know, where you're at isn't where you'll always be and that that next step is is feasible. I think, um, you know, laying that all out like that makes it makes it feel a lot more realistic and, and doable. So I think that's that's a great point. Um, and, and, you know, to to one earlier point that you made about, um, you know, catching yourself and noticing when those self-limiting beliefs come up. Um, and I think this is, this is often a theme. It's, you know, it's awareness, right? It's noticing it in the first place until that's happened. You continue on with that same, that same path, that same, uh, way of thinking until, until you catch it. Um, so I think, you know, having, 
having the awareness to to notice, first of all, to understand the difference between the, the types of beliefs, but then to be able to catch it when it's happened and, you know, replace that thought in a certain way with something that's actually going to be more helpful and help you understand that, yes, that next, you know, I'm not just because maybe I'm struggling right now, doesn't mean it's always going to be like this. Doesn't mean I can never improve or I can't, you know, win at that level or beat that type of player or improve this shot. Um, so I think that that goes a long way there. You mentioned comparison earlier, really trying to compare yourself to a past version of you and, and seeing that you can get better. I think another self-limiting thing can be comparing ourselves to others in such a way that it makes us feel bad. And it, it that may fuel into the whole can't discussion, you know, because somebody else perhaps is achieving things that we wish we were achieving or I'm working harder than that person. Why is he or she getting results? I'm not getting results. Um, and, and we end up really focusing on something that we can't control and we're letting that comparison get in the way of our own learning and our, uh, of our own path. And I think when we talk about the development plan, it's really important that when working with a player, we understand that this is your unique path. You have that person that you're comparing yourself to, um, they've got different genes, they've got different training context, maybe a different coach. Perhaps they have the ability to, to train more. They're making different choices. There's so many different things that make the comparison of you to them not really valid. It's not a good, uh, they're you know, really not comparable examples. It's apples and oranges. Um, but we see a lot of players do that. And sometimes we see even parents doing that, looking at some other junior player and seeing what they're doing. Oh, why is so, you know, why is my player not where that player is, etc. Um, and I think, you know, again, we have to be really careful when working with players that they, they understand it's a unique journey to them. And when putting a plan together, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. I mean, you can look at it and say, well, maybe that could work for me. Let me try it. But whatever other players are doing is not necessarily hundred uh, percent going to be right for you. Just like you know, working with one coach versus another coach uh, may be different. You know, so for example, Josh, you might like to work with one coach. I try to work with that coach, and we just don't we don't hit off for whatever reason. Doesn't mean it's bad or whatever. Um, you know, so we all have different kind of unique aspects of that. But I think when we start doing comparison, and maybe we've used this quote before on the podcast, but Comparison, especially in that way, is often the thief of joy, right? It kind of sucks the joy out of the game. And um, and then that becomes a self-limiting belief when we're more focused on you know what other people are doing and when there's a lack of enjoyment in what we're doing, how can you possibly want to continue? Of course, you're going to, you know, of course, you're limiting your own potential because the joy isn't there. Yeah, no, that's a great point about comparisons. Um, it, it actually made me think about our, our last episode, our interview with Todd Martin, and how he talked about, you know, growing up, he was never the highest ranked player. Um, and, you know, he also didn't, you know, maybe train as much as some of the other kids. Um, and I think it's very important for, for people to remember that everyone peaks at a different time. So some people, you know, might peak 
early in adolescence or um, you know later on um, in their their high school years or college years um, or or beyond. But understanding that you know people do have these peaks at different times, and that just because somebody is ranked higher or able to do certain things on the court now, you know that that could certainly change over time. The one player could burn out. One player could get injured. Um, again, you know, going back to this point that, you know, where you're at today isn't where you'll always be. So I think having the perspective to understand that, understand that, you know, there are those ups and downs that, um, you know, that, that also that improvement, you know, sometimes it's a one step back, two steps forward type of thing where, it, you know, if you're actively working on a certain shot or a new way of thinking, it can, it, there can be some growing pains along the way. Um so, you know, I think we, we talk a lot on, on the show about the process, right? The, that process of trying to get better, not just staying focused on the outcome. Um, and I think the, the, the big reason is because fo- staying focused on the outcome doesn't actually help you achieve those outcomes that you want. Um, when you focus on the process of playing great tennis, of improving, um, as you've said, Brian, you know, trying to find that, that recipe of, you know, of high performance that, that works best for you. Um, that's ultimately when you start to improve, that's ultimately when you start taking your game to the next level, but, you know, comparing yourself based on UTR rankings. And I, I get it. I mean, I've been there first of all, and second of all, I understand that these, these things are important. These things can be very important, right? Having a certain ranking or UTR or winning certain matches allows you to do certain things, right? It might allow you to play in that next match and, you know, in a, in a later round or make it onto a certain college team or whatever it is. But understanding that by fixating on the outcome rather than thinking about that, that process of these different areas that are going to contribute to that outcome, you're not necessarily doing everything in your power to, to get where you want to be. And focus on the process, I think, is actually a solution to, you know, having an, yeah, um, kind of overly focusing on winning. I, I think overly focusing on winning is actually a self-limiting behavior because um, it's something you can't control. And when we're overly focused on winning, maybe we have too much of our ego is invested or we're putting a lot of pressure on ourselves Certainly some matches, we want to win those because, yeah, they may open up other opportunities. Like you said, whether it's making a college team or having your college team do something or even your adult league team. Maybe you're in a a sectional championship and your team wants to go to nationals. And But if you're just thinking about winning, 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 um, and then it's not happening, there's going to be a lot of anger. There's going to be some frustration, definite loss of enjoyment. And usually those emotions don't lead to your best performance. So you're actually limiting yourself. These are self-limiting behaviors, self-limiting beliefs. And by going to your process, keeping it simple, you know, we did the full focus episode. I think that's a really great solution to that over focus on, on winning while you're playing. Um, or even overly focused on winning as part of your kind of overall mindset to, you know, your career. Um, Because the better we get at understanding our process, understanding our recipe, the better we're going to play more often, right? We're not going to be limiting ourselves. We're going to be looking at the things that we can control. And so the process and being fully focused is always a good solution. Uh, But in this case, it's really good in terms of 
helping with some self-limiting behaviors or thought patterns that we have during a match, right, or just in our career. Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing about um, focusing on the outcome is that it puts a lot of pressure on us, right? I mean, going back to a conversation that we had with Brian Barker, um, you know, who's coached at, at the highest level, um, just the, the, this difference between two people, one who's going to, you know, try to try to focus on their strategy and make sure that their game plan against, you know, their opponent is, is right and focus on the, their effort and focus on some of the mental aspects, like being able to reset and being able to, you know, use your time wisely on court and prepare and, and review and focusing on all of these winning ingredients um, rather than that person where it's, yes, that's all true, but I also need to win, right? Should win. Right, using those types of words, you brought up can't. I think those words like need and, and should also yeah, do a lot to, to, yeah. to hold. exactly, exactly. I think that those sorts of words and that way of thinking holds us back because it it really puts a lot of pressure on us, and it, it almost sets our sets us up to for more disappointment and um, you know a lower self concept or self image if you don't live up to that because you feel like it's expected. Um, so I think you know I, I think this also goes goes back to, you know, the, the, this concept of, you know, expectations versus, versus standards that we've talked about a lot on this show, right? Making sure, and this all ties into the process, but making sure that you're, you know, setting your, your own standards high for yourself in, in a number of different areas, right? Whether it's, um, I mean, you know, some of these other things related to your sport performance, hydration, nutrition, sleep, um, you know, certainly the mental and physical aspects of the game, um, but by really focusing on these areas and understanding that the outcome is out of your control and saying, I'm going to try to do everything possible to, you know, reach the highest level in these different areas. And, you know, I know that certain things are out of my control. I know there's always the element of luck or, you know, other people making decisions, you know, good days and bad days, but understanding over time that that's, those are the ingredients to performing at higher and higher levels. And you mentioned, phrases like have to, need to, or I should. Typically, you know, if we go back to Lisa Feldman Barrett's theory of constructed emotions, those types of thoughts tend to create uh, debilitative types of emotions. They don't help us at all. And so it's really good for us to understand that we're using that kind of irrational language because you don't have to win. Like nothing terrible is going to happen. Of course, you want to win, um, but we're using these words in such a way where that, like you said, we're putting pressure on, but we're in a way thinking there's bigger consequences here than there really are. Um, and so the more rational we can be about these things, because the reality is that you don't have to win the next point. It would be great to be optimal, perhaps, to win the next point, but there's always another point. Or there's always another game. Um, you know, oftentimes there's another match, there's another opportunity for your team to get to nationals or 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 whatever, you know. And so nothing really truly terrible will happen. So we have to understand that the language that we use in our thoughts or in our specific self-talk does drive specific emotions, and these emotions are either going to help you perform well, or they're going to get in the way. Um, and so th those are, you know, some important things to think about as, as we're competing in the moment, um, but also looking at, uh, you know, progressing in our career. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you brought up, you know, I think this, this concept of catastrophizing, which happens with a lot of people, right. Thinking that, you know, if I, if I lose this match, then I can't, then I'm I'm a bad tennis player. Um, Or if I lose this match, then I should just quit. Right. (laughs) I mean, these are certainly things I've heard from, from players. Um, And it's, you know, understanding that, that journey as a tennis player, our, our project as a tennis player is, is a long one, or hopefully it'll, you know, it's a long one. And that, that there will be those ups and downs along the way. There will be matches in every single player's career that, that they feel like they shouldn't have lost or feel like you lost to a player whose level was lower or you had a bad day. Um, but understanding that that is normal that that that's happened to you know even the top players in the world they've had those days i mean i think we can think about you know any any top professional and think of matches where they lost to somebody ranked lower or they didn't perform well or they had they were in a winning position perhaps maybe they had match points and lost so i think having that perspective that you know these these things happen to to players regardless of level goes a long way for understanding that um, you know, whatever's happening right now or whatever happened in my last match doesn't define me. That's just one data point. And hopefully I'm going to learn from it and not just push it aside and not think about it, which I, I would say happens a lot, but um, trying to learn from it and trying to, um, you know, really think about Okay. In the future, what would I do in that situation? Um, so that, you know, it, it can change your thinking from, I lost that match to such and such player because, you know, because I, I'm not a good player to, okay, I lost. And if I could look back, there were moments there where maybe I wasn't fully focused or prepared for that, that next point. Um, or there was an adjustment that I could have made during that match that I, that I didn't, or maybe you're, you know, your certain shots were, were off, right? Maybe your serve wasn't, you know, you weren't finding that consistency on that day. Um, and maybe it's okay. The adjustment needs to be made that maybe I needed to put more spin on it, on the ball. Um, or maybe I need to devote more time to working on my serve, but you know, I think that reflection process can help tennis players understand that, you know, number one, why performances take place and hopefully learn from them, but also can do a lot to help people avoid that, you know, themselves identifying too much with any one given result. Let's keep going on that identification piece, because I think another self-limiting belief um, or thought process is is the self-image that we have, that conceptualization of who we are as a player and, and so forth. And, and, I, and I'll, I'm going to ask you to talk more about imposter syndrome, see how that fits in with this. Okay. Um, one of the questions that's on the mental performance profile that I have players fill out is um, it's on a one to seven scale. And the statement is my mind is a weapon on the court. And it's very interesting to see how people rate themselves on that. And if you rate yourself lower, what does that mean? So this is where we're talking about self-image, that if you don't see your mind as a weapon or if you see yourself as someone who can't win big points or big matches, um, maybe, again, we're, we're being fixed mindset, we're over-identifying, but it's really important that you understand that this, the way you perceive yourself and those abilities about 
winning, uh, you know, or ability to achieve your goals is um, very, very important towards improving. And uh, it's another, you know, thought to try to develop some more self-awareness about is, you know, do I, do I put some limits on my ability to, to win, to beat other players? Do I put some limits on my ability to use my skills or think that my mind can be helpful out there? Um, I was actually playing with somebody the other day. He actually doesn't even know it. He puts like limits on his how much he tries. He doesn't. He's not even aware that he's constantly training at seventy-five percent. And until I brought it up and demonstrated what you know more than seventy-five percent looked like, he didn't even get it. Couldn't understand what I was talking about. So some some of us may not even be aware. But we, we've got to be understanding some of the thoughts that are coming through our head with respect to, um, you know, my ability to win, my ability to improve, because those things are, are important because you're, you're kind of baking that into your self-image. And I came across a quote today. This is a, I, I read this quote in Dan Abraham's book uh, uh, about soccer, Soccer Tough 2, which even though it's about soccer, I'd recommend it to everybody. Um, but he quoted this French philosopher and said, it is our duty as men and women to proceed as though the limits of our abilities do not exist. I really like that. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Josh, you and I, we're going to go out to the track and we're going to all of a sudden be, you know, faster than Usain Bolt if we just keep working at it um, or, or whatever, right? But if we can, this removes those self-imposed limits. This is saying, all right, just go after us as if you could be the best that you could be. Don't get in your own way. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, your perspective on maybe some of the self-image things that we that we kind of conceptualize and um, and what you've seen with different players. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that players can do to to build that self-image. Um, I mean, we've talked about some of these methods, like using a confidence journal, for instance, and um, being intentional and consistent about uh, noting down when you do things well, when you've made certain improvements. So I think that can go a long way. Um, but I think also, you know, having that that personal philosophy um, about you know really who you are and what you stand for um, goes a long way for for understanding when you, you know, maybe when you're falling short or when you're not, you know, exerting that full effort or, um, you know, doing everything that you could do in a certain situation. Um, one thing that I would also add from, from before, um, is thinking about, thinking about the goals that we set for ourselves and, um, trying to find that balance between those goals that were, will push us, right. And not be self-limiting in the goals that we set in the first place, right. Not, not, setting goals just based on, you know, where we are right now or that last result, but setting goals that, you know, that inspire us to achieve more, but are also, you know, attainable and realistic, right? So finding that, that balance between, you know, what's going to really inspire us and push us, motivate us to get to that next level and to make those improvements, um, understanding that, you know, our level's not fixed, but also understanding that, setting the setting of goals and, and not achieving them um, also can 
can backfire in terms of our self-belief and self-confidence. So trying to, I mean, if you think about the, the SMART goals framework that we've talked about, that attainable and realistic piece, um, finding that happy balance between, you know, what are, what do those goals look like that, that do really inspire us and motivate us. And I think for some players, it, it's different, right? Some players, they, they need, they need that huge goal. They need that goal of, okay, I want to be number one in the world where for another player, that goal is to move up in the lineup, right. Um, or to whatever it is. And then, you know, being able to break that down into goals and into, you know, development plan, um, and having that, that vision. But I think, um, no, I, th- I think that goes a long way and not, um, that, that I think that, that quote, it, it allows, it allows people to almost imagine what it would be like if nothing was holding them back. Right. Um, because, you know, oftentimes those, those things are really just in their head, things that you're repeating to yourself that, you know, that power of narrative and storytelling, right. And the way that we view ourselves and sort of the story that we tell ourselves about, about us and where we're at and why the way things, you know, why, why the way things are. Um, so I think that that way of thinking does a lot to, to start to move past those types of beliefs. Um, so no, I, I think that that's a, a great quote. I mean, to, um, you know, not focus on those limits of our abilities, but be able to um, imagine what it would be like to be able to move past it, because I think that's that's really step one, having that belief that you can move past that and can get to that next level um, is is critical, is, is essential to moving past it and to um, improving. It's also scary in a way, because where we are is comfortable. And what you know this quote is saying to us is that, well, if you can take the limits off, take sort of the, the governor off of what you're doing, um, the sky's the limit, perhaps. And But along the way, you're going to have to get really uncomfortable in that process. Uh, and I think sometimes when we're limiting ourselves, we're really protecting our own self-esteem, perhaps. And and I think what goes along with this, and it's, it's something we've discussed on past episodes, is can we have the courage to get uncomfortable? Can we take, you know, be courageous enough to really go for, for the dream? Um, Cause so many people don't. And uh, this is again, another self awareness thing is that we're probably all at times limiting our dreams to a certain degree. Um, some more than, than others. And again, it's, it's, uh, you know, pursuing dreams is, potentially an uncomfortable pursuit uh, you know for those of us um, uh, who are who are on that path and I think uh, it's one of those things where like we mentioned earlier the the first time you do the development plan then you get a little bit of experience with that level of discomfort now you're ready to maybe increase that level of discomfort and you start to rewire your brain a bit um, about how that goes and this, this is slightly unrelated to that, but um, there's a video that I watched with one of my figure skating students, and it talked about how figure skaters actually rewire their brain in terms of um, many of the jumps and difficult moves that they do. And they're actually suppressing 
the thoughts of injury and survival um, as they learn to do jumps, you know, a single axle to a double axle to a triple axle. I mean, these are really potentially dangerous things that they're doing. I mean, they're literally flinging themselves in the air, <laughs> twisting around and then landing on a, a blade. And um, super difficult to do that. And, you know, can you imagine, you know, somebody who's never done that, Josh, like all of a sudden, all right, yeah, I want you to just get on this skate and just jump. And you're going to have all kinds of alarm bells ringing in your mind, right? Um, but through that process of learning, they start to be able to rewire their brain so that they don't feel that level of discomfort anymore. They're able to fling themselves into the air. And I think we can do a similar thing when it comes to striving for you know our best, um, whether that be professionally, academically, in tennis. Um, and it's all about discomfort. And it's all about helping you understand that a lot of the alarms going off in your mind are are just getting in the way. They're not real. Like your life is not really in danger here, but those are the alarms that are going off. Uh, so I think it's, um, yeah, the more that we do it, and I think the goals, like you said, is really important. I think the development plan is really important. Using like a 90 or 120-day development plan. Um, for those who've seen Eric Buterak's TED Talk, you know, for some people, big goals don't work. They can be paralyzing. Although I would say, for those players who have such big goals, did they also have smaller goal plans that help them along the way and keep it in perspective? I don't necessarily know. I would say most people don't have that, and they may just have these expectations. Like there's, I think, a difference between a goal and an expectation, um, and so that can, these can be some things that are getting in the way as well. Yeah, there's there's another great quote. Um, I think it's a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? So it's great to um, you know want something for yourself, and that's that's certainly a part of a part of it, but no, until you take that time to really break it down and understand what what it takes to get to that next level to make the improvements, then it's it's really tough to to get there. I mean, you talked about, I mean, having that big goal for yourself, right? Um, whatever it is, um, but in, until you can really take the time to. Um, really think about the different steps along the way and having the perspective to understand, you know, what, what that improvement process will look like, um, then it's going to be really hard to, to get there. Um, I, I think also, you know, this concept of um, perfectionism, perfectionism and, um, you know, expecting that, you know, we're going to be perfect and expecting that nothing's going to go wrong or we're, you know, we're not going to have certain roadblocks along the way. I think that's something that definitely holds a lot of players back can be definitely a, a self-limiting belief um, in that, you know, each loss or each, you know, each time something goes wrong or you view it as going wrong, um, it has more of that potential, that potential to do derail all the progress that, that you've been making. So I think, you know, having, that sort of a mindset um, is number one, unrealistic because it, it assumes that nothing will ever go wrong. Um, I, I mean, you look at any, any professional player, any, um, you know, any player that's played the sport for long enough and they've had those ups and downs. They've, they've had, 
you know, as we talked about matches that haven't gone their way or injuries um, or whatever it is, um, or, or just times, you know, weeks, months where maybe you don't notice the improvements or you don't feel like you're making improvements. Um, but, you know, not, not, not thinking in that perfectionist way um, goes a long way to being able to bounce back after defeat and, and having the perspective that yes, this is normal and that this is part of the um, improvement process. I agree that perfectionism can be self-limiting, um, but there's also a positive side to it where mm-hmm. generally perfectionists have high standards. Now the problem comes in, in the journey to those high standards uh, is, you know, are mistakes and losses tolerable? Um, if they're not, and uh, what we often see are anger and frustration, and those get in the way of good performance, and those those emotions also get in the way of you making improvement overall, because you're constantly judging what's happening, and, and you may over-identify with that again. And so a good book for people who may think that they're perfectionists and that that gets in the way is uh, by Tal Ben-Shahar. It's called The Pursuit of Perfect. And he's a great person to talk about it because he's a self-proclaimed perfectionist who was, he was a world-class squash player before um, becoming a, a professor and a doctor in, in, in psychology, in positive psychology. And he actually moved from Israel to the UK to train with the number one player in the world. And he was such a perfectionist that he just he pushed himself, he pushed himself to the point where he had such a serious injury that his career was over. He could no longer uh, compete. And so the book talks a lot about um, a better way of looking at the world is by what he calls being an optimalist. Rather than a perfectionist, be an optimalist, somebody who's always you know, looking for the best that they can see, that having reality be, be a part of what they do. Um, so really useful book for those who feel like maybe perfectionism is, is getting in their way. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I think Josh Tennis uh, seems to attract a lot of perfectionists. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's, you know, that it's a more technical sport compared to some other mm-hmm. sports or the fact that it's an individual and it's just you out there uh, most of the time. Um, or the fact that, you know, many, many top players started playing the game at such a young age, right. Specialized early that could also attract that um, attract perfectionist to the sport or could bring out maybe the perfectionism in people in those positions. So no, I, I think that that is a good observation. And you know, as we've talked about so many times in this podcast, tennis is tennis is a really challenging sport and playing in a match is very um, mentally and emotionally challenging, right? After every point, there's that instant feedback on you either won it or you lost it. Now, if you view it in, Hey, I'm, I'm a winner right now. And after this next point, I'm a loser and then I'm a loser and then I'm a winner. And you, you ride that emotional roller coaster, then it's going to be, it's going to be really tough. But I think by, you know, developing some of these skills that, you know, some of these sports ecology skills, it gives you the ability to number one, have that perspective um, and understand that this is normal. This is the way tennis matches work, um, but also be able to, you know, use some of these practical skills like breathing, like being able to reset 
And that helps you, you know, not ride that emotional roller coaster, um, understanding, you know, that, you know, how a match is won ultimately. And if there's a sport that you don't need to be perfect in, it's tennis. You can lose so many points and still win. Um, your style of play does not need to be pretty. You know, I was mentioning figure skating before. There is no artistic expression score or, you know, aesthetically pleasing strokes score. None of that matters. And if you lose a game or you lose a point, there's always another one. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you made a mistake where a shot missed the line by a quarter inch or if it missed by 10 feet. It's the same. It's only one point, right? So, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, if we can keep that in mind, that it, the sport doesn't require you to be perfect. It's constantly giving you chances to start over um, as we go through. Um, can we touch on maybe one last thing, Josh, is you had brought up uh, when we were discussing this earlier, the idea of imposter syndrome. Um, how, how might that be a self-limiting belief? I, th- I think it's a big one. Um, I think from from what I've seen in, in athletes, um, once you get to a certain level, um, whatever level that is, and that's going to vary on the very based on the person, uh, it can be very easy to, you know, look around and see other players and think that perhaps you you haven't earned where you're at, right? You haven't maybe worked as hard as other people. You haven't, you know, fully deserve to be at this point. Um, it could be a player that makes a breakthrough in a tournament and makes it to the semifinals or the finals for the first time. Could be a player who maybe has taken that next step in their journey um, onto a new team. Maybe it's um, a college team or maybe it's a competitive USTA team or they're bumped up a USTA, uh, an NTRP level. They, they just went from 3.5 to 4.0 and um, their self-image is still that of a 3.5. And they still view themselves as that three five, and all of a sudden they're playing other four O's, and they've always seen four O's, you know, four O player as something that's you know this really high level, something that they can't attain, or that's you know so much better than them. And all of a sudden these you know these thoughts are going through their mind that I don't deserve to be here. These people are so much better than me, and um, I mean I you know there are all these quotes as well of. Um, professional athletes and you know people that are the, the best in the world at their craft talking about talking about imposter syndrome talking about um, you know how even though they've done it time and time again they still get these thoughts that you know this is that they're it you know they don't deserve to be there or that you know things aren't going to go well because they're not actually as good as they claim to be or they so they're supposed to be so I think you know understanding that, these thoughts are, are normal um, and, you know, maybe preparing, um, having prepared responses that you script out and, you know, that this can have to do with that confidence journal or that, you know, preparation of confidence um, by really thinking about our past positive performances, thinking about maybe it's the progress we've made, thinking about other matches with positive results, um, but being able to effectively argue against that voice in our head that that is that you know that that contains that imposter syndrome goes a long way to to overcoming it yeah yeah and again it's back to the self-image back to maybe we're protecting ourselves in in some way and i think the the way i'd like to close it is is with that quote again just so that people remember 
what it what it is is it is our duty as men and women to proceed as though the limits of our abilities do not exist. That's a great counter to limiting ourselves, right? <laughs> to self-limiting beliefs and self-limiting behaviors. So um, I think that's a great way to kind of end the conversation. Thank you, Josh, for this. Um, and thank all of you for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.